Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to 1 John chapter 5 and reading for our text, verse 6. 1 John 5, verse 6. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. And it is specifically in this sixth verse, 1 John 5 verse 6, the two words, not by not by and I want to speak to you on not by highlighting what by sometimes we can set forth the truth and set it forth very very clearly but we're only setting it forth in a positive way and not firmly shutting the door and repudiating error that is contrary to the truth that we have set before us. And so this evening, what is on my spirit and beginning with the text that we have is to clearly set before you the not by, how salvation, how the way of God is not in a particular way and then what it is by the way of salvation made more clear by what it is not. And on to the Lord's help put our subject under seven points, but divide them up into four headings. And first the coming of our Lord and then secondly the building of God's church thirdly the justification that is counted free from condemnation how we are justified and then fourthly how we are to walk and serve God I want to begin with our text with how the Lord Jesus Christ came. Let us read the verse again. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Now we would remember that John Baptist, he came and he came preaching the baptism of repentance and baptism through water baptism. Our Lord also baptised, or his disciples did. But our Lord did not come just like John Baptist did. It was not just repentance. Our Lord came to die. He came to suffer and to bleed, something that though John Baptist must die, as we all must as sinners, yet his blood availed nothing. His blood did not atone for any sin, 
but the Lord Jesus Christ, it did. Now we have a context here that follows on. We are told of the witnesses, witnesses that are in heaven. Verse 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Here is the Trinity, so clearly set forth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in heaven. And they bear record, and their record is one. And we may say, really, their record in all of the earth is also one. But we are told of three witnesses, three that bear witness in the earth. But before we move to them in verse 8, the Lord always insisted that whatever he did, he did with a commandment from his Father. There is no, no disunion, there is no clash between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We would remember that the Word of God is the inspired Word of God. Is God breathed? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Spirit is to receive of Jesus and to show it unto us. It is to convict of sin. But all that the Spirit does is in complete accordance with the Father and the Son. And there is no jar whatsoever. There is no room for any professing religion to bring any doctrine, any teaching, any way that jars with the holy word of God, the word of a triune God. Everything that is brought forth is tested by that. If some says, well, the Lord Jesus Christ is, is loving and kind, and, but the Father, well, he's more severe and set forth as if the Lord was a mediator pacifying the Father's wrath, the Lord said very clearly, the Father himself loveth you. Now, very encouraged, one of our schools that we go into last year is one that we went into, and I looked up the curriculum before I went in, and they had a question in RE, how can God be a loving God and a holy God at the same time? So when I went into that school, I said to that year six, I said, have you done your RE? Have you answered this question? Oh, yes. So I said, well, who can tell me what you decided is the answer? And all, a lot of hands went up and they said, well, because God is holy and he is loving, then he will chastise and he will correct us when we sin. And I was so thankful to hear that from a, it was a Church of England school that they had come to that, that God's holiness means he must punish, he must chastise and correct for sin. And so we have the word of God coming from the triune God and any who seeks to divide between the Godhead with an idea to water down the word of God is going against that triune God. These three are one, they agree in one also, they bear record, one record in heaven. And the word that we have on earth is from heaven. 
But then the three witnesses, the three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. And really what we have here is the gospel ministry, which is set forth by the spirit, because the word that we preach, preach the word, is the inspired word of God, and it is to be with power. The disciples had to tarry at Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. And so the gospel ministry bears a witness on earth. Then there is the water, which is these are the two ordinances that our Lord Jesus Christ instituted. May always remember this, as much as he hath instituted the preaching of the gospel, he has instituted the ordinances as well. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. In the same command is the preaching of the gospel and is the ordinance of believers' baptism. And then following that, as we have in Acts 2, the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. What is the witness of baptism? Not John's baptism, but the baptism of our Lord. It is a testimony of dying with Christ and rising again in newness of life, buried with him by baptism and risen again in newness of life. He's identifying with his death and with his resurrection. And that is a witness, a public witness, a confession of faith. Those who have professed their faith to the church of God and confessed the Lord Jesus Christ, they, by their obedience, they show forth in that ordinance what their hope is based on and what they themselves have gone through. They have died to sin and died to self and alive unto God. Ye are new creatures in Christ Jesus, renewed in the spirit of your mind, a new creature. Ye are dead, says Paul, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And then there is the witness of the Lord's Supper. This do in remembrance of me. As oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show forth the Lord's death till he come. A witness to the church are constantly set before them that it is the precious blood of Christ that they are redeemed by. That is their hope. And that is what is set before them constantly to not forget it is Christ that died. His precious blood has been shed. Without the shedding of blood there is no remission. But with the shedding of blood there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So we have the three record in heaven and the uh, three witnesses that bear witness on earth and in the word of our text, not by water only, but by water and blood. Not just a reformation, a change of life, a change of leaf, turning over a new leaf. Not that but redemption through the precious blood of Christ, washed in his precious blood, truly redeemed. The people of God are reminded of that right from the beginning of the word of God, 
when Cain brought of the fruits of the ground and God was not pleased with his offering. But Abel brought a blood offering, a lamb, the precious blood shed. And right through the Old Testament, this message was there. The precious blood was to be trusted in. Not in however much reformations we might do, not in outward works, not in our sanctification, though our sanctification flows forth from the redemption through the precious blood of Christ. But it's not by water only, but by water and blood. All of those that are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, God will separate unto himself he will sanctify, he will cleanse them, he will, by the washing of water, by the word, make them to be his bride. And so in the not by, it is emphasising the need of the blood. You and I, we must die, but our blood will not atone for our sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, does cleanse from all sin. And we are to be really reminded of that. Not by water only, but by water and blood. But secondly, I want to speak of the building of God's church. If we go back to the prophecy of Zechariah, we find when the children of Israel were brought out of Babylonish captivity and they were to rebuild the uh, temple again. And Zerubbabel was laying the foundation and Joshua, the high priest, both of them were involved in the building of that temple. Many of the Jews were very discouraged. They had seen the former temple, the foundation of it, and this was not going to be as great. And the prophet Haggai he said that this latter house, the glory of it, would be greater than the former. And it would be because our Lord Jesus Christ should walk in that latter house. And there he did, indeed, he cast out the buyers and the sellers. And there he taught and walked in that temple. But how was that church to be built? How was God's building to be built, the church of God? to be built. And we have that set forth in Zechariah 4 and verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We are reminded in that. There no efforts of man, no might of man, no armies. Except the Lord build the house, they labour in vain that build it. The Lord shall build his church by his spirit. And in gospel days, as again as we mentioned, the disciples had to tarry until they were endued with power from on high. What a difference it was when the apostles preached and thousands were brought to faith. Thousands were brought to a saving knowledge of the Lord. Thousands were converted at a time. Very different even when our Lord, before he suffered, there's thousands, they followed him and he fed them miraculously. But there was not the 
conversions. It was not yet the kingdom. It was not after Christ had died and the blood shed. It was not when the Spirit was given. So when the Spirit was given, then this is the word to us today. Not all of our efforts, even good efforts in evangelism, not all our efforts to try and bring people into the church of God or to add unto the church. It won't be by man's might. It won't be by his efforts. doesn't mean to say that we're not obedient and we're not diligent and that we don't spread forth the word and preach the word. But our attention is that it is not by these things. It is by the Spirit of God. So not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And you see how the emphasis is. We can preach just that it is by the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. And we look for that same blessing that the Thessalonians had where they received the word, not as in the word only, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. But when we have it the other way as well, that it is not by our might or power, not by our efforts, not by that which is of a real demonstrable why? You think of Elijah when the Lord spoke to him in the Mount Horeb. And the Lord passed by and the great wind, the great fire, the great earthquake. He said the Lord was not in them. But then a still small voice. And we think of the springtime when it comes. It's not a great commotion and noise and going on, but just gradually the green appears on the bare twigs and everything greens up, everything is clothed over without a sound, without anything seemingly to be done. He's just doing it. And our Lord, when speaking to Nicodemus on the new birth, he says, Thou hearest the sound thereof the wind, but canst not tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. And this is the Spirit that is set forth here to build the church. It's not by might or power, but so gently, so quietly. And this is how you would expect if the Lord works in your heart and begins to quicken you, it'll be gently, but effectually, powerfully, but not in a Way you might say, like the Philippine jailer, some are converted in a very marked way, and like the Apostle Paul, and often it's like Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened, and who are partakers of the Spirit that works so gently, and the Word distills and drops in. And sometimes, as I've heard, Sermons, and someone's asked me afterwards, how did you get on? And that particular time, I, I've thought this, well, you, you wait a week. Let me, ask me in a week's time. Because I've had those times that I felt it good to be there. I felt it good to hear the word. 
We haven't been particularly blessed. But there's been that, who can tell, the Spirit will bring to my remembrance that word later on in the week. And sometimes that has been the case. It has been very precious. Just because the minister's voice has ceased doesn't mean to say that the Lord won't bless that word afterwards. If you go home disappointed tonight, still pray and still go over that word and still look to the Spirit to bless that word and to make it powerful in your soul. Well, there's another direction in the Word of God as to how how not, how the church is not built and how it is built. And this is if we uh, turn to Paul's epistle to Titus. And in Titus and chapter 3, we have in verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And it in with the work of the Holy Spirit in renewing. But here we have the not by, and it's very clear, not by works of righteousness which we have done. This is what Paul, when writing to the Romans in chapter 10, he says that his own people that he so desired to be saved that they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They didn't know this not by. They were going ignorant of God's righteousness and were going about to establish their own. No big kindness. If we were directing someone on a particular path or through the woods near here, that as well as telling them what was the way to walk, we gave them very clear signs of what not to walk. And that there is a clear gate or a bar in that way. Don't go that way. Don't go down that track. And this is what the word of God says here. The way of salvation. The way the church is built up. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. All our works are as filthy rags. You know, the very natural way of those that are convicted by sin, by the, through the law and convicted of their sin, is to try and make themselves better. And that's because we are born under the covenant of works. Adam was under the covenant of works, do and live, uh, transgress the law and die. And when we're awakened to see what actually the condemnation that we're under the first thought is, we'll set this right. We'll put it right. We'll remedy it. And in one sense, that door must be closed and God will close it in a way of experience as well. I know it is set forth very clearly here. You may listen to it. I'm sure of this, that as many, if not all the Lord's people have had to prove it because they've tried to do it by works. And they've got worse and worse and worse. And they've added sin to sin. And then they are taught that is not. They can't obtain salvation that way. And then they start to look the right way, another way. Often think of this in the case of Ruth. When Ruth applied to Boaz that she would take her for his bride, 
then it was on the basis that he was a near kinsman. The law provided that for one who had lost her husband, her supply, that a near kinsman could marry her and raise up seed. But Boaz said that there was a kinsman nearer, nearer to her than what he was, and he had to consult him first. That had to be dealt with first. And when it came to land, that other kinsman said, I will redeem it. I will take the land. But then he said, now, you must marry Ruth as well. And he couldn't do that. He said, I'll mar my own inheritance. And so then it fell to Boaz. But Boaz had to rule him out first. And I often think this, some may disagree with me, that the nearer kinsman is ourselves. No man can redeem his own soul. But we'll try first. We'll try under the law. We'll try to obtain salvation by ourselves. But that must be ruled out. The Apostle says the law is a schoolmaster unto Christ. And in Romans 8 we read what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. How did he know that the law couldn't do those things? Because in Romans 7 we read that he was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. The commandment showed him up as a sinner. It took away his hope of salvation through works, which as a Pharisee, that's how he lived, trusting in his own righteousness. Our Lord pictured that with the Pharisee in the temple, just speaking of his own goodness, and Paul was one of them. But when the law was truly brought into his soul, he is brought to under condemnation under it. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is righteous and holy and good, but it's weak through the flesh. The flesh is not able to do it. You might say, well, we're going to get a person to run a race and we'll set the, these are the marks, the start and the finish, you run the race. This poor person's got a broken leg or a leg in, in, in plaster and they can't do it. There's nothing wrong with the arrangement of the race or anything like that, but the person that's running it can't. And so with the law, we have no ability to fulfil the law and even if we could atone or live perfectly from now on, there's still our original sin in Adam of which we're under condemnation. And there's no man that doeth good and sinneth not. So there's sin in all that we do. And so the word here is to clearly put a stop, to really make it very clear that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Mercy is never, cannot ever be earned. There's nothing that works of mercy just do not go together at all. And so it is through the mercy of God, everyone that is saved. And again we have the contrast in the temple, the publican, God be merciful to me a sinner. One was trusting to his own righteousness, the other one was pleading mercy. It is the same 
message that is here. So, friend, if so, you feel the sin in your heart, you see your transgressions, you see the path that you go, you see yourselves as a sinner. The word here says, don't you put your attention on making yourself better, on mending your life, of setting up rules. Don't do that way. You look to mercy. You look to Christ and you plead for mercy. You say, yeah, but what about my life? Shouldn't I be making that better? No, you put things in the right order. You find mercy from Christ first and forgiveness of pardon. We'll come to this later. Then he will deal with your life. You think of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is, he is dealing with our unrighteousness. He is working in us to will and to do of his own good pleasure. Our works flow from mercy. Not works first to obtain mercy as if we're going to buy it. But seek their mercy first. And the Lord will deal with the works when he gives us his mercy. Works as a fruit and you'll never look back and say I've earned salvation. It's been given by mercy. And thou only hast wrought all our works in us. So not by works of righteousness which we have done. The building of God's church in that way. By the Spirit of God, not by might or power, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by mercy, by the mercy of God. Well, what about justification? Counted free from guilt. That is what justification means. One, to uh, be absolved of those things that have been charged against them. The word has two portions to say upon that, which seem to be, when you read them independently, to be completely against each other. So I'm going to bring them one at a time. Firstly, it is that which is taught us in Galatians, in Galatians in chapter 2 and verse 16. We have there, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So the word here is not by the works of the law to be justified. It is by faith, by faith in what Christ has done. Faith trusting that Christ has paid the debt. You know, if we had a debt, a local hardware merchant or whatever it was, and we couldn't pay it, and we had a good friend and said, you know that debt you've got, I paid that. I settled that the other day. 
And then they met us going up to the hardware. What were you going up there for? Are you going to buy something? No, no, I'm going to pay my debt. Said, but I told you I paid the debt. Why are you going up there? Or if they saw you, saw you labouring to get the money together to get to pay for it. And they said, but it's already paid. Now Lord Jesus Christ has already settled the debt. Already paid. Already made atonement. Already redeemed. Already set free. Not by works not by the works of the law. Justified by the faith of Christ. And there's two sides to that. The faith that Christ has given in Hebrews 12. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And the other side of it is the faith in what Christ has actually done. The debt he has paid and what he has accomplished at Calvary. So the way we are set free from condemnation and guilt, as the Apostle says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But there's another side to it. And that side is introduced by... James, the epistle of James. And there we have in the second chapter really what seems to be an opposite uh, statement. He says in verse 24, Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So the word not by is faith only. Not by faith only. And you say Paul has said that it is not by the works of the law. Is it works and faith? But you've got to see what James is setting forth. And he says, A man will say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. He says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And the way he's described this is in a very simple way. And he says, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone." Wherever there is the true faith of Jesus Christ, it will result in works of righteousness wrought by God. The Lord says, without me you can do nothing, from me is thy fruit found. Remember the parable that our Lord told of the sower, where the seed was sown into four types of ground. And it was only the last time 
the last ground which was good ground that brought forth fruit. The whole message of that, the first one was on the wayside, the fowls came, took it up, like Satan, snatching the word away. Then there was that which was sown upon the stones, which was no depth of earth, and as soon as persecution came, and then they were offended because of the word, and they went back no more, and they brought forth no fruit to perfection. And then we have the one sown amongst thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked it. It's like the cares of this world and the things of this word choked the word, that it become unfruitful. And every time, no fruit, no fruit, no fruit. And then in the good ground, and it brought forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And all the time was the measure of its fruitfulness. And it was in good ground. And this is what James is so insistent upon. Where God's word is, then there will be a fruit. I think some of you have heard me say what Gatsby was accosted once walking down the street. Someone called unto him and said, Hey, look at that drunk lying in the gutter. That's one of your converts. And Gatsby looked and he said, Yes, he said, it looks like one of mine. He said, If it had been God's work, he wouldn't be lying in the gutter. And wherever God's work is, it will make a change. A new creature in Christ. It will change the heart, renew the will, and turn the feet to wisdom's way. And so, James is right. So is Peter right. It is from one author, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit showing in those two ways. Not by works of the law. Not by faith only. But by faith that has a fruitful outcome. Faith that draws from the Lord Jesus Christ those works that are answerable to his work in the heart. And this is what I've said before. Look for mercy first. Look for his work and grace in your soul and the blessing that flows from the Lord first. And you get that truly, he will deal. He will deal with your heart. He will change your heart. He will change your life. You will do those things that you didn't do before and won't do those things that you did before. It will be an instant thing. And I proved it. I proved it so many times. When the Lord first worked in my heart and I hated, I didn't like chapel. I was planning to get away from the house of God. And then when the Lord touched my heart and it was an immediate thing, an immediate difference. Not only was there an aching void, a sense of utter ignorance and a need as a sinner, but I suddenly was going to every service I could in the week evenings and whenever I could hear the word of God. It wasn't a conscious effort, oh now if I'm going to be a Christmas or a Christian I must do this and this and this. The, that faith that he had given immediately had that effect and that fruitfulness. Like another time later on, before I was uh, baptised, very exercised, and I just changed my job, and I felt I wanted at the meal table, at the 
in a common room, lunchroom, to bow my head and ask a word in prayer. And I couldn't. Each time I came, I was frightened of the man I was working with. I was ashamed to do it. And I went home and made resolutions. Tomorrow I am. And I went three months, and I couldn't get above that at all. And then the Lord was pleased to come and bless my soul, favoured my soul. And I went the next day to work. I didn't even think about it. The man was nothing. And I just bowed my head and asked a blessing. And they didn't say anything. And I started bringing my Bible, bringing the Gospel standard, bringing the cheering words. And the Lord blessed me in those lunch hours with the people around me. But you know, it was not by my effort. I proved that from months of inability. But one blessing in the soul, and immediately it's done. And that is what is spoken of first. There will be the works that flow from faith, but seek that from the Lord first. They're justified by faith, and then works flowing forth from that. Well, how are we to walk then? In the last place, how are we to walk and serve God? Then Paul writes to the Corinthians, his second epistle, in chapter 5 and verse 7. And he says this, For we walk by faith, not by sight. He says, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Later on it shall be that we do appear before God and we shall be known, and we shall know even as we are known, that here below our walk is by faith. And that faith is described in the epistle to the Hebrews and how the uh, Apostle sets it forth in Hebrews 11 that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is by faith the elders obtained a good report. And right through Hebrews it gives examples of what they did by faith. Noah building the ark. But each one was in a different way. But from verses uh, 13 to 16, you have a summary. You can read it at your leisure of those that all died in faith. And it gives how they walked, which was common to them all, saw the promises afar off, embraced them. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. And those that say such things declare plainly they seek a country. They're living here below with the reality of heaven, the reality in the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he is walking, believing the word of God to be true. And all that is seen outside, all that is realised, that is of sight, is another aspect as well. We could speak of walking by sight when we have the blessing of the Lord in our soul, as I spoke before, the effects of that. But those are not everyday blessings the people of God have. Now, if you looked at the blessings Jacob had in his long life, you'd probably 
two hands, you might be able to. The great blessings I've had, again, in my life, ten or so. But the helps that we have regularly, the feeding, the strengthening, is through faith in the Word of God. The children of Israel, they despised the manna because it was small, it was little, and they had it every day. Never despise the constant blessing of the washing of water by the word and the feeding day by day. You and I usually have to bless with three meals a day, naturally. And we don't say, well, because it's so regular, then we don't need it, we can just leave it off. But also, you couldn't point to a certain meal or vegetable what you had and say, I was strengthened, or my leg grew a bit by that, or my arm by that. You can't. But you know if you didn't have that regular food, you wouldn't live. And God's children, they live, they walk by faith, and they live upon the Lord by faith, day by day. And so not only is there the walk by faith and not by sight, not by those things seen and not by sweet, savoured blessings every day, but by faith in the word of God. That's how we walk. It's how we serve the Lord as well. We're told that in Peter's uh, epistle, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. Uh, and... Right. Not by constraint. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind. Speaking of the Lord's servants, taking the oversight of a flock. But really it applies to everything in the path of a Christian. It's a free will offering the children of Israel had to do in the wilderness, not by constraint. It was freely, willingly offered. And so our walk here below, our serving the Lord, is willingly, not by constraint, but willingly. We should not have, if we are called by the Lord to be said, well, I'm going to wait until my pastor says help in this or that or the other or makes me to walk in these ways. It should be as you see there is a need, as you see the people of God, like dear Lydia, who when Paul came, she received him into the house. Of those that ministered to the Lord in a willing way, not by constraint at all, and that's a, a beautiful uh, sign, a beautiful way. You know, if we were to give like a servant a whole list of duties, and all they did was to do these duties. Sometimes we hear of people, they go the second mile. They do far over and above what is actually needed. With the Lord's dear people, it is the love of Christ constraineth us. Is a sweet constraining of love. Those of you children or young people and your parents where you love your parents. You won't need laws and regulations to do this or that. You see there's a need, you'll help them. A love will perform it. You're not all the time counting 
well, have I got my payment and have I, is, is it fair or whatever like that? There'll be that love that constrains. And so it will be how we are to serve the Lord, not by constraint. And we think of the walking in the Lord's ordinances and in his house, the obedience to his will, not by constraint. Thy people shall be made willing in the day of thy power. And that's a beautiful thing. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou hast enlarged my heart. We have the way of the Lord's commandments. And when the Lord enlarges our heart, when the Lord blesses us and makes us willing and makes us desirous, then that is the way we are to walk. And it's a blessed way, a sweet way. You might have been asking, Lord, how will I know? How will I know when to go? How will I know when to act? And the Lord enlarges your heart and you can do it without constraint, but willingly, because the Lord has put love to him in your heart. So we have these not by seven of them, way that we're not to walk. And he contrasts and emphasises the way that we are. May that then be a help to us this evening. Not by, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. May the Lord add his blessing. Amen.